Hi, this is Mike Morris. Welcome to another episode of Open Mic. Of course, I have with me today, Kevin Dietz. Welcome, Kevin. And Michael Camorn, who's in a fantastic attorney, who's also a podcaster, and he specializes in marijuana laws and all things related to marijuana. And Richard Clements, who's an activist for marijuana to get it legalized everywhere. And he's got some great stories about what he's been doing for the last 10, 12 years and legalizing it here in Michigan. So you're not gonna wanna miss this episode. Stay tuned. Joining us this morning is Mike Morris and Corey's Top Dirty. Mike Morris. Mike Morris is in here to tell us about the backpack giveaway. Adapt and adapt and change things up a little bit every year. So I'd like to welcome you all to the show. This is the first time we've had a four-person uh, panel discussion. Welcome, Kevin Dietz. Thanks Hello. for being here. Michael Camorn, a uh, fabulous criminal defense attorney specializing in medical marijuana. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And Richard Clements, welcome to Open Mic. Well, welcome. Thank you. So let's talk about all things marijuana today. And I don't have a lot of notes here because, you know, being an attorney, I have lots of clients call with questions and we handle some of those cases. But there's so much going on. There's so much confusion going on. So I'm excited to to dig in to all of this. But first, I want to set the stage. Michael, you have been a lawyer probably the same exact amount of time as I, 28 plus years. 27, right? 28. Yeah. Where'd you go to law, law school? UT. As did I. I think we were in law school together. That's right. And um, grew up in Southfield. That's right. Went to Leonard. That's right. Participated in the fantastic floor hockey program, which everyone still talks about. What team were you on? It's in the Vulcans. I was captain of the Vulcans in uh, fifth grade, I think. <laughs> I think my Alan Steinick was on my team. You know, He has recently uh, reached out to me. Uh, I was on the Seahawks. I had uh, one... Gurachani was your... Uh, maybe? Possibly. Okay. I uh, won uh, the most assists one year wow. with uh, Ed Crass, which I think would be a fun uh, episode. You and I should uh, I think so. interview Ed, because so many great things came out of the Southfield Public Schools, and especially out of Leonard. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, just for full disclosure, you and I are very good friends from age five to 10 um, from, for elementary school time. So, and then we re met again up in law school. That's right. And then, of course, we ran into the 25 year elementary school reunion, which is not a thing that no, normal people no. go through. <laughs> elementary school reunion. You know yeah, what I'm we saying? passed a school in the house. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, was, it was a fabulous oh, yeah. elementary school. Oh, yeah. time. Um, and now, Michael, your practice is focused around helping people with marijuana charges. Is that true? Well, Interestingly, there's been less of that, and oh. uh, my practice has evolved into doing a lot of licensing and business and some litigation involving disputes, uh, involving businesses and things like that. But uh, there are still some marijuana crimes and you know cases that we're defending, and it uh, goes on, unfortunately. And uh, the new area where we're getting a lot of uh, calls on is the driving issues with the uh, cannabis yep. THC in the blood and the impact of that. We're gonna get into that today. Um, so that's an interesting point that the, that your cases and your clients are going down because now that we are a recreational state, um, there's probably less uh, police officers looking and caring about that stuff. True. I would agree, and arguably that the, you know the smell, which has always been the probable cause to escalate an encounter into probable cause of illicit behavior, because marijuana schedule one and illegal should not be anymore. You know what I mean? And uh, it's the smell Federal, of the house. Well. You're talking state levels. State, state levels. levels. Okay, so move that a little sure. closer. All right, we're gonna we're gonna dive into those weeds. Richard, tell me tell me your story. Who are you, and why are you here? Who am I? Well, I'm a uh, Detroit resident all my life. Um, 
I'm a graduate of the Detroit Public Schools. I'm a graduate of the Alabama State University in Montgomery, Alabama, where wow. I majored in computers. Um, basically, I've been doing IT, and I got into the marijuana business because it was the right thing to do and changes in the 90s, and been active since 2001, uh, specifically. Uh, just recently, yesterday, I went to the trial of Danny Trevino, and it was just uh, the sentencing hearing, and it was just a, a, a travesty. Uh, like you said, I, um, my background is in IT. I'm not a lawyer, but this judge is basically anything state-related. He just tossed it left and right. Um, we were involved in um, the recall of Bill Schuette for uh, negligence, you know, insubordination to the voters. Uh, what he's done with Danny Trevino, and I was in Lansing for 20 years working for the state and teaching, he was the first open, uh, what we say, uh, franchise. And out of 20, he's rated 26 times in the state of in Lansing, Michigan, and won every one of them. And out of all the shops that were open, they were just targeting him. Uh, the, uh, this wife and family feel is racially because he's racial because he's a Latino. And uh, so what happened, this all started in 2010, right? From 2010 to 2019. And Bill Schuette was the attorney general, okay? And while they were busting him at a state level, he kind of uh, noted, uh, he tipped off a DEA agent and then he got involved in 2017. And actually it's four of them. He was the last one to go down. The other three are, won't get out till 2021 and 2022. But what that judge did, he added some kind of crazy formula was $8 per gram, how much he was making. And um, so you're talking about a case that was just um, done yesterday, done yesterday. This but we're talking about a time period when we were talking about medical marijuana, medical marijuana. And when these all first opened, uh, remember, the uh, the states uh, didn't exactly love it. So they were doing a lot of enforcement in certain counties and they were busting people who had uh, legal shops to sell medical marijuana. OK, so just to set the stage, because some of our listeners don't know exactly what's happening here in Michigan. So Michael, I'm gonna to turn to you for a second. 2008 was our first medical marijuana when you were allowed to have it when you were um, a medical necessity, is that true? Yeah, I would describe it as this, in 2008, the uh, MMA passed. What it did based on the interpretation of the courts later on was that it didn't legalize marijuana. Marijuana was still, as a default, illegal. All the penalties in the public health code still existed. Possession, possession to deliver, felonies, et cetera. The MMMA, the medical, provided an immunity or an exemption for individuals engaged in certain behavior for what would otherwise be illegal. So they were exempt or immune from arrest, prosecution, or penalty of any kind. That's how it was kind of designed. And I mean, that's how it was interpreted. No, you did, that was a good explanation. And in order to be exempt, you needed to get a medical marijuana card. That's correct. From a licensed physician. You would get a recommendation from a licensed physician, either MD or DO. They would sign a form that stated that in their medical opinion, they believe therapeutic or palliative relief would come from the use of cannabis. There was at the time nine or 10 conditions, part of the yep. initiative. I'm looking at that list. We've, we've been involved, my law firm has been involved in getting a number of others passed on the list. Oh, uh, like so, what? Name one. Well, we got um, autism. Oh, nice. After being denied in 2014, we came back and resubmitted it and got it passed. Um, PTSD, a number of... Um, you know, arthritic problems dealing with pain and other added, you know, pain, uh, pain or chronic pain. And they divided that the um, designation of severe and chronic pain could be severe pain 
or chronic pain, either one. It allowed, you know, someone, a doctor saying you're at a four, I mean, from saying like at a seven, needing to be like at a seven or eight, and the pain scale to be able to say, you know, four or five, based on uh, their diagnosis, if you, if you understand what I'm talking about. So if a doctor said you needed that, then you go to the state and get a, a, a card, like an ID card? You send the application to the state, and uh, the state would turn around and send you a card. The other aspect of this was you could grow your own marijuana plants as a patient. How many? 12. Or you could designate another individual who was over 18, didn't have any prior felonies, 21, over 21, didn't have any prior felonies, and they could be your designated caregiver and grow 12 plants on your behalf and carry up to 2.5 ounces of usable marijuana on your behalf. Those individuals that are caregivers could only do this for not more than five people. Oh. Okay, so the business is not much of a business because you really are, it's designed to have only five individuals. That so they could have to. 60 plants and they could, uh, if they have the designation by the, the card holder, and then what can they do with the uh, cannabis that comes off those plants? What Are they allowed to sell it to anybody they want? Can they use it? Can they? Does it have to go to their pe person who designated them? I don't understand. Tell me. Right. And this is a very, I mean, there's a very, very important point, especially in light of the existing marketplace of medical marijuana and recreational marijuana. But the answer at that time was, the only marijuana caregiver would ever possess is the marijuana they have for one of their five designated patients. The, tr the growing of marijuana, the possession is only for them. Got it. The idea that there's overages, which is like almost a term of art these days, right. meaning having more marijuana that's needed for your five patients is a commodity that the police would say at that time was illegal, felony, criminalizing, forfeiture you know, behavior okay. to transfer to anybody else or to sell to retail locations that were locally approved. Okay, so during this whole era from 2009 to 2016-17, that was the framework of what was allowable and what, what behavior would be immune from prosecution or what would otherwise be illegal. Any of the shops, as was mentioned, um, there was no state law for them to operate under. There was no regulatory system. It would be a local approval, different cities throughout the um, state authorized it, but they were authorizing, you know, if the behavior was any different than I described under state law, the state prosecutors, state police, or local drug task force would come in and raid. So these, um, there were legal licensed medical marijuana uh, dispensaries around the state um, before. Not the, really. They were locally approved, uh, okay. but if you ask Bill Schutte, he was Bill Schutte or, you know, Sheriff Bouchard or you know, anyone from the Prosecuting Attorneys Association of Michigan that say any transferring of marijuana from a registered caregiver to a patient to whom he or she is not directly connected, their name's on the back of the card, is a delivery that's illegal. The irony of it, this comes out of this case, uh, State versus McQueen, but the irony is this is a asymmetrical protection. The patient can acquire from anybody. They're not limited to acquire only from their caregiver. So them walking into a place that the person behind the counter is selling to a sixth, seventh, or eighth patient of theirs, that would be a sale. The delivery from them would be arguably not in compliance, but the purchase, the acquisition, totally protected. Interesting. So there's a lot of nuances and yeah. technical things like that that people got, I would say, dragged out of this immunity into the criminal justice system that never would have thought 
right. that they should be. And the, the interesting thing is there was such a disparity among communities and counties. Some counties, um, like I remember when Oakland County raided all the shops, and, right. but Wayne County didn't. Right. Or Ann Arbor, um, Ypsilanti, right. Genesee County. Right. Yeah. You know, you know, as lawyers, we look for fairness. We look for um, people to be treated the same. And throughout the last 10 years of me watching this, not actively practicing in it, it's been very confusing. And I have lots of friends ask me questions, and it's it's still confusing. And we're going to talk about lots of confusing things today with the, the feds versus the state versus what can people do and what people should um, what people should do if they were pulled over and things like that that we're going to get into. But with regards to the medical marijuana dispensaries, um, you said it. You said up till sixteen, seventeen, because uh, Michigan passed the recreational uh, marijuana statute in two thousand and eighteen. Right. And so, is that in effect right now? Yes. So Michigan is a recreational marijuana state. Correct. Which means what? Well, can I insert a part of the history there that of course. I, to make a point? Before this happened, there was the, the, so the recreational law happened by way of ballot initiative. Right. In between this, the Michigan Medical Marijuana Licensing Facilities Act was legislatively created. This is the regulated system of the commerce of medical marijuana created by our legislature. They set forth this regulatory system that's been in effect since 2016. They started taking applications at the end of 2017. I just described for you, you know, in the case from the, that we're going to talk about, Danny Trevino was a caregiver engaging in certain behavior, having shops and whatnot, that the feds then took him, you know, took him down. So when the Medical Marijuana Licensing Facility Act passed, they looked at all these local um, approved retail locations, Ann Arbor, Ypsilanti, et cetera, Detroit, and they said, if you've been approved locally, even though your behavior over the last 10 years may have been totally legal, you could have been raided, but you were approving, somehow got away with it, we're going to let you apply to the state by a certain date. And if you do, while we're thinking about whether we're going to approve your application or not, we're going to let you remain open. You can operate as if you're a state-run um, licensed facility. And then they realized that they had no place to provide or supply these locations. So they said, okay, this is what we're going to do now. All those reasons we were arresting caregivers for taking their overages and destroying them and taking their coin collection and stamp books and guitars off, yes, forfeiture and $25 million, I think in 2012 was the number of forfeiture that they brought in. They said, we're gonna let you, we're gonna look away now. And you caregivers that we've been felonizing, you can just take it up and sell it to, to, to the local places that are open under this emergency rule. And that was the activity that took place all throughout 2000. 18 up until April of 2019. And was one of the reasons they were doing that is because the shops were low on the medicinal they had Right, because right, I heard this. The program was under the MMFLA that there's a uh, grower's license, processing, retail. A uh, entity or individual can own one, two, or three of those. If you have one, two, or three of those, you cannot own one of the, a transport license, which is to drive it, or a testing license. Those are the five licenses. So when they were authorizing or letting the um, retail locally approved stay open pending their application being approved, they needed a supply place, but they there was no previously, you know, 1500 plant grows that had been illegally operating or that were gonna come out of the woodwork and say, hey, you know, can we have a temporary, there was no plants growing under this. So they needed to 
find a source. And literally, for the, and it says in the administrative rules, for the purpose of not having a state of emergency, so there's a shortage of, mar- to prevent a shortage of marijuana cannabis, medical cannabis, they said, we're going to let caregivers supply this market right now. And that was, and that was, uh, that's how it had always been, really, you know, in the, in the illegal. And then they just kind of looked away and they went along with it, which is kind of a remarkable it is factor remarkable. in all that. I mean, in law school, they, you know, they teach you, um, you know, about, about state laws, right? And they teach you the difference between state laws and federal laws. Right. And you understand them pretty well. But in this case, I don't know if now is a good time to jump to the Trevino case. Is, if, did we miss anything? Let me just go to recreational first. Because um, this is so you look confusing. At, look at what happened in Colorado, and you right. can kind of follow it. I mean, you know, they started uh, um, selling marijuana, and and money was pouring in from all over. Right. And the business owners were so afraid to put money in the bank because they thought the feds would come in and seize it because it violated federal law what they were doing. So they basically hoarded the money, uh, kept it in their house, or put it in other places because they were afraid that the state laws would not protect them against federal laws. That at any time. For any reason, the feds can come in and do whatever they wanted. Right. That's, that's an interesting point, because I remember specifically in Michigan, that was, you know, 2008, nine, still of the, or, you know, before Obama, I think the, you know, nobody was clear on what the rules were going to be from right. the federal level in, in the Bush era or the, you know, had been um, going into California and raiding dispensaries. In fact, the, the Michigan law was designed in a way to not centralize all the plant growing to avoid federal law, you know, coming in and shutting down one place or two places instead, you know, plant your seeds everywhere and they, you know, they'll grow, so to speak, and there'll always be a supply. So that was a system designed intentionally to avoid federal, you know, preemption. But um, I've seen, you know, I think a lot more on the west side of the state, if I was to reflect back, than the east side in terms of the way the federal government was prosecuting state actors right. okay and even later on i think in 16 17 there's a couple cases and i want to i want a case up in um bay city for the bay bay uh, federal court and it was based upon this mac so what's happened in the federal government is kind of interesting first is the uh, policies by the holder administration the coal memo you know this is before sessions and um the um there's a legislator from Colorado and California that the uh, had these riders on the budget. So the last 16, 17, 18, the federal government budget to the DEA has, has had a specific rider saying, you cannot use any of these funds to investigate and prosecute state-compliant patients and caregivers. That's been the rule. It was under the Holder uh, administration? Yes, but it's, uh, I'm trying to think what the... It, the, it was uh, written into law. Yeah, no, no, but it was a writer, so I don't say writer, Rickenbacker yeah. or something like that. So some, what, you know I'm talking about? the Yeah, uh, yeah I know, I don't know. Rogenbacker, who, Robacher? Uh, it was Robacher. He was like a, a Colorado, Colorado or California, yeah. you know, legislator. I mean, federal legislature that wrote this in so that, you know, they couldn't use the funds to prosecute. And... Because of that, if, uh, you know, I had a case like, for example, like my motion was that the prosecutors using funds that are not budgeted to prosecute this ticket because my client was in compliance. They just happened to be on federal grounds and that was the jurisdiction. So I got it, you know, and it, that was, that's what the laws, I mean, it's very limited instances because the, you know, if you're outside of your, you know, if it's anything bigger than the, you know, patient caregiver limitations, you're going to have problems in that regard. But that was the, that's kind of the development regarding federal court. And um, I know we're going to say whether we're going to get to the recreation or not, but we can talk. We should maybe talk about the uh, well, tragedy in federal court with Danny Trevino. Well, yeah. So, <laughs> so Richard, if you want to set this up, um, uh, what happened 
to Danny Trevino, you know, what I was trying to say was that, you know, we live by, we're in a state of Michigan, they pass laws, right. we follow the laws. But the federal laws are opposite and contrary to the Michigan laws. And so I don't understand how anybody would feel comfortable. Okay, they're saying, um, Michigan, you're recreational. Well, it's not recreational under the federal law. So if I wanted to, and I'm not going to do this, but if I wanted to light up a joint, I could technically be arrested by a federal prosecutor for that or um, be charged with a federal crime, even though the state of Michigan is saying everything you're doing is legal. It makes no sense to people probably listening and watching. No. As a lawyer, it doesn't make a whole bunch of sense. I know that there's a lot of pressure um, on, on our current federal government to make marijuana recreational across the country. Is that true? That's true. I mean, that's, everybody's hoping that's gonna happen and that'll eliminate a lot of this, it'll eliminate a lot of clients for you if that happens. But Richard, take us through what happened in um, Lansing with the Danny Trevino case. Well, what got Danny Trevino really in federal trouble is that he had over 100 plants. And that's that threshold where you start going into federal law. And that was their, that was their way in to harass him. So is okay. that true, under 100 you're allowed to? So the behavior the that he's been charged, that he was charged with and was convicted at trial involved a period of time over eight, 10 years. There was a time in Michigan when, when all that I just described was unknown. You know, in 2009, 2010, there was a hundred dispensaries in the city of Lansing up and down Michigan Avenue, right? Right. And uh, Bill Shitty came into office, he's in, he drives into Lansing, says, what, you know, I mean, this is my take on it. What's going on and a lot of legislative action trying to introduce bills and whatnot and the raids start happening and, um, you know, we got the, it gave the first indication of how the government's going to be dealing with this. And they're going to go at it with boots and guns and AK-47s. They're going to destroy. And they did this time and time again. And I described for you how some survived and some remained open and, mm -hmm. you know, benefited. Danny, my take on it was he was like a uh, innovator in this regard. Right. Like he read the law to be as broad as possible. And I would agree that there's the debate over the MMA has always been you know, prosecute. it's a poorly written law, it's a voter initiative. And I say, it's a broadly written law and you don't understand or like broad laws that are aimed right. to broadly insulate individuals. You're looking, you know, and, and lawyers are thinking boom, 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 you know, and it's usually, especially in criminal defense, not benefiting individuals, they're you know what tight, I mean? Right, and they're tight laws. Right. Rules not are a rules, lot of gray. Right. So, that, so that's the, you know, now the idea that, uh, and, and there's some specific words within the law, for example, the sale of marijuana is not the sale of a con controlled substance and um, you're allowed to uh, receive compensation for costs for the sale of marijuana. So these are, but nothing, no guidance other than that. So if you're a caregiver, there's no guidance to how you deposit, how you record on the taxes. Danny was an individual who I think, you know, saw the the need in, in, in for people to, you know, outlet and outsource their overages and, to people that like going into a store and having various products, whatnot, and you know, an innovator, and, and to, to suggest that under the caregiver system of seventy-two plants and five patients, that there would not evolve from humans commercial thoughts, and, you know, businesses. I mean, it's it would be absurd. And as much as they may put a blame on him, the failure of the legislature to act along the way is the they failure, did, right? They did nothing. They did nothing. Right. They just let this this you know abyss of torturing humans and you know for behavior that now is heroic in a way you know what i mean yeah it was sabotage it you was. know it's basically look at you know if you look at the card i mean we've had a system for 10 years and they still have not put a picture on that 
okay? This was supposed to be an easy transfer. Um, this is the marijuana card, right? I will cover your. Uh, oh, that I will cover I don't your. Care. You know, tell you your what. home address, but I'll show you. Um, so you're saying that nobody's got a picture on their card? No, that's, card, yeah. that's by design because let's say you went for a CCW, right? And you got your driver's license picture, right? They'll take the driver's license picture and transfer it to the CCW. Well, when it came to the marijuana program. It was taking like 120 days to even get uh, uh, this card because of the lack of uh, internal IT support, computer support, you know? And so through that in the legislature that did not like it, they did everything to throw roadblocks and all kind of extra rules in to make it hard, okay? So what was Danny charged with? With 10 counts of- uh, In federal court, what's important for his story is that he was Rated, I don't know, 20 times. 26 times. In state court, went to court. And won. Won every won. time. Beat him, beat him all the time. And it was, you know, he would, uh, whether he was, whether he'd established his affirmative defense to be able to talk about it, he would get on the stand and explain it and nullify, you know, nullify or convince the right. jury in some way. And, uh, but, but it what, was Lansing, it was Lansing. You know, what he was doing under state law was legal. Nah, I mean, it was. Uh, no, poli police said there, there are rules. Like I, I believe when you talk about the 12 plants and up to, I think you have to grow them separately. Like these are Bob's plants, these are Joe's plants, right. these are Sally's plants. And someone who grows them all in one area and they're all together would be a violation. House, people have been raided for I know, things I, that I, small. Exactly. I would say this, for, first of all, for clarity, if I'm a caregiver for five patients and I'm can grow 12 plants for myself. I can grow all 72 of those plants within one location. There's nothing that requires me to do it. I, I, but the idea that you could walk in and water my plants for me while I'm away is a disputed issue with technical violation and people's houses have been torn apart, right. things taken down in forfeiture just based on something like that. You know what I mean? Right. Or I a dead plant outside of the enclosed lock facility or an outdoor grow that someone thinks they can see through a fence and they think, you know what I mean? Silly it, stuff. It, it's silly and it's right. almost like they're silly. looking for, in, in fact, it, I would even say, I don't know how this began, but this program of the MMMA was run through, started with the Department of Community Health, then Lara took it over. But I don't know that the police, you know, they said, we're gonna be in charge of this. You know, I don't know that any government agency assigned them. I mean, it's a controlled substance act that they're monitoring, but these are people acting under the, uh, you know, a, an agency that could have, should have had its own agents, you know, that participate in this instead of the first step of, of involvement being public safety and law enforcement crashing. It could have been some administrative, you know what I mean, a remedial kind of thing instead of making this a, you know, a criminal, you know, slaughter essentially. I mean, the way you guys are describing this for the last 10, 12 years is just pure chaos. And that you never know what one arm is gonna do, what, what's legal, what isn't legal, all these gray areas. And I know that's given people like you, Michael, a huge headache and lots of your clients' headaches. And it sounds like this Trevino just got sentenced to almost 16 years in federal prison. 15 years, eight months. For doing things that he was acquitted in state court. Same things? Same things, and not only that, he's doing the same things that people are getting licenses for right now. Like now, what, like, give me an example on that last point. Uh, right now, you could apply for a site license. You have different types of license, a, c a consumption lounge, a grow, and everything. Selling else. marijuana, retail Sell, provisions. Retail so provisions, you know. All the crimes that he's being charged with, what he's doing illegally, federally, it's, okay. it's, it's legal now. So all of, all of these people who are now applying for these licenses under the Recreational Act, 
they're going to get licenses. They're going to set up shops. They're going to spend millions of dollars in cities like Ann Arbor and Detroit and, and Ypsilanti. And they're going to spend millions of dollars and open up a beautiful uh, dispensary with a beautiful lounge where they could smoke marijuana in. Are you, are they protected from federal law, Mr. Comorn? No, they're not. No. So why would anybody spend millions of dollars on anything here in Michigan until the federal law is changed? And this is the distinction of what they would justify, you know, the, the court system would justify in terms of the penalty for Trevino. But the reason is, is because there's a, you know, the coal member, like some of the, the uh, policies from the Obama administration articulated this like nine point expectation of states that are going to have medical programs or recreational programs. And it went through, you got to have a regulated system that, you know, um, vets the participants that ensures that there's not, um, you know, um, diversion of, of cannabis and that you've got oversight and a tracking system so that, and, you know, they kind of give some, you know, not, not allowing for lack of oversight for driving. So the federal government did make a statement on this where they said, look, as long as you follow this framework, you know, and it's tied into the state, then, you know, we're, we're going to leave you alone, essentially. Now, at some point before this, there was threats, you know, like, like early on, imagine like 2010 and 11, like wa state of Washington and Colorado, they were being threatened in other states that were trying to pass this, were getting letters from the uh, um, attorney generals, you know, US, US, US attorney's offices. And uh, some ignored it, some, you know, um, vetoed state legislation trying to do these things, you know, but we've moved on past that. I think there's that whole era where we, uh, it was pretty much understood that the federal government was not going to go after state authorized actors that were operating within the confines of um, what they were allowed to do. Now that doesn't mean everyone's been off the limits. I mean, it could take a couple of federal raids that happened in other states because they were, you know, the allegations being selling across lines and involved with gangs and cartels, you know, that kind of but, stuff. But are you saying, so you, you're, you confused me there for a second. Are you saying that if somebody applies here in Michigan and follows all the laws in Michigan and crosses their T's and dots their I's that they are safe from federal prosecution? I'm no. saying, no, they are subject to federal prosecution because the behavior is not legal federally. What I'm saying to you though is, I it has not happened that these licensed facilities that are open and doing business that's blatantly legal federally are getting raided. I mean, they know about it, they're on a list, you know, they've given every bit about it information, they're easy to find. And I think because of their transparency, it's, it, it's an unwritten rule. I'm not, you know. It's I, an unwritten well, rule. Well, that's interesting I'll tell because, you, go ahead. I was going to say that when we were doing the ballot initiative and getting the signatures, I would get judges that would not sign the petition, but they said if it ever got on the ballot, I'd vote for it because it would lower my dockets. I yeah. mean, it would, it but, would clear out my but uh, the court. But the co court. A lot of the judges liked it. The quote from the um, federal judge yesterday, um, and I'm going to find it. Oh, he was a but, but, tragedy. Well, the quote <laughs> Michael's got in front of him. Thank you. The quote was, you know, he he didn't care about the state law. What did, what did he say, Michael? It's right on the front page there. Oh, he said, yeah, he didn't care about that. anything uh -huh. the, anything to do with the state. He didn't really care about federal, federal law. Has federal not law changed. has not changed. And I, I'm not advocating or, or suggesting that you know I'm advising that federal law has changed. It is still illegal. There are mandatory minimums. That was that's what Richard was talking about. The over 100 plant count. What they've done is. At best, the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office has taken a position that they will use their discretion when appropriate to charge mandatory minimums or not. Here, they chose their discretion to charge everything they possibly could. I, if I was to say what happened here, number one is that the behavior the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office would say 
of Danny Trevino was so far beyond the pale of what was intended by the MMA that the nonsense of beating these state court cases is ridiculous. That he's a much more bigger player. Maybe there was, uh, I don't know, allegations of interstate sales and amount of money that was made that was far, I don't know, okay, fine, 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 but, but amount of money that's made far beyond what uh, would be expected and whatever. I, I think it's all in that framework that they were, and if you, and he was not state licensed at the time to do it, that would be a condition of the federal government, uh, unwritten rules, so to speak, the coal so memos. He, he didn't follow all the rules to a T. And he had a felony too. That, that, that. Okay, you so know, it's right. messy. So, but Michael, what a, what a, um, you know, people come to lawyers all the time and say, hey, so you want to, you want to start a business, right? And you come in here and you right. say, Michael, hey, am I allowed to I do this? this? I, I, am I, I want to go open wanna a grow facility. I want to invest. I want to, um, I want to <laughs> open up a, a processing lab and I want to spend millions of dollars on it. Um, can you set it up in a way to keep me safe and guarantee me that I'm not going to get prosecuted by the federal government? I mean, I, can't, I would never. How many lawyers make guarantees? Never. You know, but, but how, what how, a hard how, job. No, I know that, but I say I say it's interesting because I have I meet with a you know the variety of people that are interested now go from you know people that have been involved in the industry for a long time and people that have never been involved but have money and want to spend it. Okay, in there, you know, they've invested in things that made money. They're not st stupid or they've played their cards right, so to speak. The concerns of federal enforcement, literally, you know, I, I advise everyone, of course, it's part of the conversation, but no one is thinking about that. Okay. And I think it's generally because oh. this new era that we're in and the state's approval is, is again, it's an unwritten rule. At any time they could come in and, you know, and that, that was- Change their mind. Has they, Trump changed his mind well, since no, he's been in office? No, no but, well, but the no. session era, when he first came in, he said, we're repealing all the coal Obama stuff back to- the Golden Bush days. era, right, and and there was a concern of that. Then he's out, and I think again we're back to this unwritten rule of the, you know, it, the, you know, the, it's it's a state's rights issue at the end of the day, right? And, um, and the Supreme Court's never weighed in, not yet. They have a, they have on on the commerce of marijuana and that it interferes with the commerce clause of all things because you know they they have to ensure that dangerous quote unquote substances aren't being transferred interstate. Now, that's why the retail of it would be uh that's what that's the times that they've basically opined in on that but also uh pain treatment is in the uh it's like a tr written in a treaty that pain treatment is a human right according to the world health organization and international treaties so you got some type of coverage there too um the reason they're not really going after everybody is that at the federal court level, do you want the caseload? Do you want your court to be blocked, clogged up with these little marijuana convictions? You can't build enough jails, okay? Uh, what I told people to do is that you got to make them pay on election day and impeach a judge, okay? Judges can be impeached just like uh, a president and anybody else, but what you need is to change the Senate. And you can start impeaching some of these judges. They did it to Alcide Hastings in Florida. You know, a federal judge, a federal judge. You can impeach a federal judge. And that's the process. And in order to get that process started, you got to change the House and you got to have the votes in the Senate. And then you got to have a president say, hey, you got to go. You know? Yeah. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> right. So the tragedy. Can I say because because oh, Richard is, is in the, you know, is this a lot of people don't know this. And, and I think uh, during the campaign for the recreational law, I would try to remind people of this. And uh, I run into people all the time that, you know, discuss the problems of recreational marijuana, concerns for driving, et cetera. 
And I'll always ask them, do you know why marijuana was made illegal in the first place? And most of them have no idea that they're kind of just born and dropped into this. It's dangerous. It's a gateway. Wasn't it, it, a, it was in the 60s or 70s? Wasn't it Nixon? I'll tell or you. Nixon. President Nixon. At the time of so the time is the Vietnam protests, the civil rights movement, drug culture, so to speak. So Nixon creates his own group called the Schaefer Commission. For two years, they go around the world and study cannabis. And this is as he's developing the uh, controlled substances scheduling, okay? And it's temporarily placed at Schedule 1, waiting for the report from the, his hand-picked men that were on this committee. They show up and they recommend to him that it should not be illegal. It should not be a controlled substance. They compare it to criminalizing single-parent homes in that we may be morally against or desire two parents in a home, but we're not going to lock up the one mother or father who's taking care of the kids. That's the analogy they made. Nixon said, didn't you get the memo? The people that are using cannabis are the civil rights protesters, the Vietnam War vets. He had a thing for Jewish psychiatrists, you know, and he's, and there's a great quote from um, his, uh, er, John Ehrlichman, later admitted, you want to know what this was really all about? The Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had, it had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. You understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies <laughs> with marijuana and blacks with heroin and then criminalize both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up the meetings and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. Okay, so the Schaefer Report comes back and says it's not dangerous. Dixon says, screw you, we're doing it anyways. And the devastation to the communities. Think about all For the 50 people. Years. 50 and, years. And every, Michael, every single court across the state in 2018 40% of its docket is made up of marijuana cases. Unbelievable. The Michigan State Police Forensic Science Division, 40% of its docket spent testing marijuana. You ask the question, why are the rape kits not being tested? Because they're spending all their money testing marijuana. This is money. This supports this, you know, this machine of the court system, the, you know, prison, pot, prison uh, you know, for profit and, and, and employs people and pays the bills and for the courts that, you know, are being built in every city. Sorry, I went on a little bit too much. Yeah, no, but I, I want to add. Every, every police agency has their own drug unit. You know, you right. got the DEA, then the sheriff's department has their own drug unit, then the local police has their own drug guys. Right. I mean, it, it, has, it supplies so many jobs. The drug and recognition so much dupl- expert. Some, so much duplication. Yeah, it's a machine. What do know? we think the odds are of uh, the feds changing course and legalizing it? Until you Taking throw those bums out of office, you got to change the Senate. <laughs> <laughs> you got to change the president. And you got to get Rashida Tlaib to go to start impeaching some of these judges. You're a big fan of hers? Yeah. Yeah, because she said something and she got it done. She's going to impeach the guy. And she did. You got to give her credit. She did what she had to do. Okay. Um, As far as I was going to say, the World Health Organization has these meetings at Vienna every year. And Canada and Mexico and the World Health Organization decriminalized marijuana. Okay, and they were going to take a vote, and the only people to stop it was the United States of America, FDA. They forced a vote to delay it, delay it, delay it, like they've been usually doing it. But uh, on, at the world level, international level, mar- they recognize that marijuana is not that 
evil plan. It helps people. It's the uh, the CND in Vienna, Austria, every year, um, and it's 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 ridiculous. I mean, you can see the big pharma influence in the policy. Okay, because number big lobbyists, big pharma, big you know whatever the DEA. They use the DEA to shut people, that's their enforcement agency to keep the profits high with their drug, with their opioids and put marijuana people in jail, keep it criminalized. Even now with recreational, I mean, the, the people voted, they said they want it, and then now each community is can say, no, we're opting out, or we're not opting in. And then even communities that opt in, some of their elected leaders are saying, well, we're gonna postpone, we're not gonna give out any- uh, Recreational, only the medical. Right. Yeah, right? right? I mean, it's- I mean, did you see the story that Chief Craig had, had, had suggested that the, you know, there's 13 or 10 or 13 more murders this he's time He's outraged. Year. Well, he's saying it's all, quote unquote, black market marijuana that's causing all this crime. Well, you can't say that and also say the city of Detroit's opted out for recreational facilities because he's complaining about interactions out on the street. Every time the city says, no, we're not gonna open a store, it's a customer that wants to come in and buy. Well, he's, I think he's saying he wants the city to allow it, to, to, to do what the people voted for and make recreational marijuana available. And I think he's saying if they did that, we wouldn't have as much violence because we're having a lot of fights over illegal marijuana. Well, that would be city council happen. about that. that you know, the, they would, they would, they, they city council and, and the mayor's office to listen to the people. And I think the one issue with the city is that uh, there's not enough minority ownership in some of the licensing. Yeah. And I think a lot of the problem too is that once they get all these licenses, they don't have a rate structure. They're not gonna say, hey, what are we gonna do with the money? Are we gonna open up rec centers? Are we gonna fix roads? Are we gonna give restitution to the pensioners after you got them through a phony bankruptcy or what? Are we gonna build city airport up and make that regional carrier again? Those type of questions you need to ask, okay? so. Let's let's talk about the opt-in, opt-out thing, because there's so much uh, confusion to me about that, because people are buying land, people are buying buildings, people are buying grow houses, you know, they have their preliminary licenses, um, and then you hear that a city opts out. Right. I don't get it. Right. Like, it, Michael, I, how are you people, how are businessmen supposed to move? I mean, they're saying one thing and then you buy land and you do all these things and then they pull it. Right. it and every little city can make its own decision. It just seems like pure chaos. So where are we at right now? I mean, I know it's recreational, but you know, what do you have? A, I mean, what's going on with this opt-in out, opt-out thing? So, Explain that to me. So the recreational law passed and it has the same available five types of licenses for the recreational. The difference of the MMFLA, the legislatively created 2016, and the voter initiative recreational law is that the forensic background check of the applicant for the recreational law is much less. You can have a felony, you just can't have any crimes dealing with selling to a minor. But other than that, for the recreational licenses, there's not even a financial, uh, you know, cap or requirement funding okay. and whatnot, as opposed to the MMFLA, which has, you know, it's like getting a casino license, I'd make it akin to, okay? okay. So, but the rule that came out of the administrative rules made by Lara was that for the first two years that the recreational law is open and taking applications for these businesses, the only people that can apply for one of those five licenses is this somebody or an entity that has one from the MMFLA. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So if you have a, transport testing, grow processing, retail, 
for the first two years that these applications are available, only those individuals can apply. So that's the first thing. So about if they were licensed previously under the previous law for the medical marijuana, then they're the first to get the recreational. And I'm talking the, and this is big commercial marijuana that I'm talking. There are some other licenses that in, that an individual or you know small business or anyone could get really, and not go through the same background check under the recreational law. But your point, which you're making, is that the opting in issue. So part of the, re- the legislation that passed, and this is not, I guess, uncommon. I've learned that uh, in order to get something past the state level, they'll leave this city can opt in and opt out. So you, know, you don't have to get a consensus of everybody. You know, If your city wants it, you can do it. If we, we don't want it, we're not going to do it kind of thing. So the it, it's been a slow roll. You know, The first rules that came out, uh, the, all the cities were, well, we want to wait and see what happens, and let's do a moratorium and blah, blah, blah. So it's been very slow to synchronize and get, you know, applications approved, issuance of licenses locally, and the places that have opted in are, are the ones that have probably been most vulnerable financially, that their you know, tax base has been minimized, they don't have any residents, it's, you know, like that kind of community where they are literally driven by the possibility of raising tax revenue for their, for their local community. Meanwhile, they no longer allow for taxes on medical marijuana and only recreational sales is what be driving this so there's many there's not many there's very few i think it's less than 10 percent. i think seven percent of the communities maybe have opted in for medical and even less than that for recreational now most of these medical businesses need to have a recreational license they can't survive or thrive on just three hundred thousand patients on this list they need the seven million people throughout the state of michigan over the age of 21. and this will be an issue that's litigated i promise you uh you know, like a city or township that's opted in for medical, and then they say, nope, we're not opting in for recreational, there will be a lawsuit there. And there's a couple pending right now, I know. And that'll be the fight over to the- To force next- them to opt in? Yes, yes. And what would be the basis? What would be the legal argument? Well, for one, I was talking to Andrew Brisbo, you know, he's the, the executive director in charge of all this. He said, he said uh, the voters voted this in. They have a right to have access. So if you live in a rural area and they won't opt in and you don't have transportation and you can't get someplace. Drive four hours south. Yeah, that's what they're saying. Like, you don't have to okay. drive, you know, all the way over. And so they're going around the state and actually having meetings with communities saying that the, the, the people voted this in. The state is behind it. We want to help you. Uh, prepare yourself to have recreational marijuana. That's 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 what the people voted for. That's what our job is to, to make it happen. And we're here to help you. Now, they're not gonna tell you you have to opt in, but they, they are saying that there there are reasons that uh, that opting in is important. And one of those is, is, is access. And that's almost like voter fraud when you think about it. It's like legislative voter fraud. That's what it really is. Well, how so? Because when the people voted for something right. and you have an uh, legislature's actively working against you, and that's voter fraud. But Michael said that the law that they voted in said that the cities can opt in or opt out. Well, it's still, in a way, a certain... Well, I'm saying if they've opted in for medical, the question is, are they compelled to opt in for recreation for those businesses? In other words, when we said okay. to you, you know, you can have a medical and sell the medical patients only, you know, was it implied that if there's a recreational law, we're going to let you expand to more people? That's the first one. But I will say this, and this, you know, it's, that's an interesting perspective that uh, they're taking. I think they see the, you know, see that this could get totally tied up, and that the whole program will fail if they don't get these cities stopped. And it just, it, it you know, because it's they're trying to control the economy in a way. You know, mm-hmm. there's access to cannabis. There has been for the last ten years. It's been grown in people's basements as caregivers. They want. They've created this competing system in a way. 
and they want to control it and they want to tax it and they want to know all of that's being transferred and used and you know whatever being used. And in order for them to do that, they have to recognize what the end product looks like and that's appealing to those people that have been accustomed to buying cannabis or bring people in that you know haven't used cannabis in the past, but this is gonna be a new alternative for them. So in order to do that, they've got to think about more the end user product. If you don't have licenses and cities that have opted in and access in you know, abundance of retail that are competing for these customers in a naturally flowing organic economy, they can't compete with the other sources. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Every time a place doesn't opt in or um, they reject uh, a city opts out or doesn't say you can, you know, and ties up in court or whatever, there are people that are gonna be consuming cannabis and they're not gonna be getting it at the store the taxes and you know paying the rent and they're gonna go to some other place. So that is what's what I think they're trying to get at here is that you know we got this program and in order for it to really work, we've got to create this organic supply and demand, you know, stores abundance and um, that's how that's how it's gonna work. Otherwise they can't, you know, they cannot uh, you know because for example, here's an interesting dynamic. The gro- to be a gro- seed grower, you know, get a grower's license, 1,500 plants. Can you imagine the amount of money it costs to get this license? It's, you know, and, the, and then the building itself has to be up to code, and there's all these requirements. Probably spending close to three, five hundred $500,000 minimum. Minimum. $80,000 a year to keep the license. And you haven't put a seed in the ground, you know, and you got electricity, you got employees. So now the state uh, allows for caregivers to sell directly to the growers. So the model of a grower now is to either go through that entire process that I just described, all that labor, or find a caregiver that's gonna bring it to them, they can buy it to around, flip it into the market and it gets to a, so this is right. the challenge. Now, th- that in and of itself should explain the challenges that this market has in terms of its production and supply. And if there's an easier way to make, an easier way to produce it, and it's just a matter, then, then we should be thinking about that as being the, you know, the way to do it. Because the, the prices that are being attached to this because of the regulations exceed what the normal, the normal price would be on the, for the consumer. Black mm-hmm. market. And uh, everybody's focusing on retail now. You know, the hemp plant itself can make 25,000 different products. And one of, them, one of them was like fuel, fiber, and thing called hempcrete. So you could fix the damn roads with, you know. He just hint, flipped a hemp. Hint, hint, okay. And that's, that's, I mean, retail and all this is just one part of the picture, but it's a big pit part. Sure. But if we start looking at manufacturing, like what you were saying, you can make many products from the hemp plant, especially with all this climate change going on and the jo- I mean, it's a lot of opportunity. What climate change? What climate, yeah, kidding. I know, I, I know. <laughs> so let me cut you off for a second, Richard. What's up, somebody showed me recently that there's apps where you can get marijuana delivered to your door. Yeah recreationally without license and there's literally thousands of people driving around these counties is that first is that legal there is a legal way to do it there's uh licensed dispensers for recreational that have drivers that you got to call and order through them and they can deliver it okay these are thousands of uh no, drivers. No, 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 there's no, serious no, no, regulations no. on how marijuana is delivered right. it has to be in a properly well, stored i'm aware but that's for transport that. that's for transport but, between a processing lab or a grow lab to the retail dispensary but there are apps on the phone that somebody showed me there are literally no, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of drivers driving around right now and 
it, it sure feels and looks yeah. This is a good legal. question. So here you go. For the recreational law, there's two real aspects of the, um, you know, Michigan's um, regulate marijuana-like alcohol act, the MRTMA. So the way it works is it, it, it speaks in the first paragraph, you know, this law is intended to legalize marijuana for adults over the age of 21. And with that comes certain protections for individuals acting in quantities, amounts, growing, what it looks like, et cetera. And also it says to create a commercial market for recreational marijuana sales, et cetera. So the first part of it, you know, authorizes individual protections. So I'm 21, I can smoke it, I can drive with it, I can have a certain amount, I can't use it in public, and I can grow a certain amount. And if I'm over that, it gives penalties of civil infractions and things like that. So that's the intention of it, okay? Mm -hmm. Clearly stating the intention is not to felonize it and criminalize it anymore. The recreational market that they describe in issuing of licenses is, um, you know, sets forth these various licenses that I talked about. One of which, which we haven't talked about yet, is the um, social use licenses. Okay, this is like you can actually have a facility, a lounge, a yes. lounge. People a can pay, lounge. pay money to get into, and ingest cannabis. Envision even a concert where there's no liquor. They show up to watch, a, or a comedian, or a, you know, and in, in, in the the surround. And this is you know the visual of what recreational marijuana would look like. And as much as they've um, you know made uh, the engaging in alcohol as a commercial, like you know the beautiful people drinking and having so much fun, like you know cannabis still is like a taboo almost, like the use of it. You don't see it and it hasn't. But this is a path to kind of get that um, developing a little bit. But the rules that they've been described there are that if you're an adult and you can grow 12 plants or you're allowed to carry 2.5, you can't bring it into this location and use your own cannabis, okay? You would have to buy the cannabis that the state has, uh, you know, licensed an individual to grow, process, and sell, and that's what would be at these locations. Any other cannabis that would be used there is illegal, even though there's a lot of people that are growing marijuana for caregivers or, you know, as an adult, 12 plants. So there's an, so it's, you know, it's a, grab by the state you might say to you know reach into these private meeting places and um try to get some tax dollars now it's interesting because the you know the, the state has gotten the taken the position that we're going to over regulate this because you can't reel it in later we're going to start real tough with the regulations brand new you know recreational law and we're going to back it off as we go forward but i'm i've been advocating that there's certain protections in michigan law statutorily like the right to have a secret club Clubs are, you know, and um, to use cannabis in... Uh, a secret club or well, like a private club? Private, private club. Private. It's, a, it's a secret society statute that says you can, you know, have a club for benevolent purposes. I, this is a statute in Michigan. That sounds and, fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you should. I want to be a member. And the idea that you can meet, you know, like a right to uh, assemble is a constitutional right, and then right to engage in the adult recreational use of cannabis... In Michigan would also be allowed. So the idea that the state has now reached into that environment and is regulating it or potentially, you know, penalizing it to me is a little bit of an overreach. You know, in other words, the administrative rules that were created for this, not legislative, but administrative rules, are um, prohibiting what was otherwise permitted behavior. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And uh, I get that it's a big reach for the state and its administration, but it's things like that that are resulting in raids like that's where the state is now acting on you know you've heard there's a couple of raids in detroit there's a couple in the up how can this be taking place when marijuana is legal you might say how why are they still kicking indoors it's because of license violations 
and trying to you know, squeeze out a crime of whatever they, they find there. Because you're talking about apps such as, you know, buy a t-shirt and we'll bring you two and a half ounces of marijuana and the t-shirt costs, you know, $400 or whatever. And uh, there's a lot of, you know, there's activity that was going on like that. And that's the kind of stuff that they've seemingly have been uh, targeting. And, and what I mean by that from a legal perspective is I could gift you two and a half ounces. You would take it and not re- remunerate me. And if I, if, but if I sold you a t-shirt for $250, that would, you know, that's like the rub or the, you know, what people have been trying to bypass. And the state's been looking at it and their argument ironically has been, you don't have a license. And these other people stood in line and got a license and we have to protect the licensed people against the non-licensed people. So it's a totally crazy environment now because this line has been drawn of good behavior and outside the lines behavior. That's, you know. Well, it's a, it's a, yeah, I mean, the fact that these apps are so mainstream, that's why I brought it up. I mean, literally Ryan back there could sit and order something which would be an interesting exercise at the beginning of the podcast. Order, a, <laughs> order me a T-shirt, and uh, see what comes with it. And um, and the fact that you could be, a, I guess, a you could be a, pro, a cop and sit on that app all day and have just have people come to you and arrest them. Um, but it's you know, hopefully it never gets there. Hopefully you guys, you know, we we, we elect the right people coming exactly. up in uh, coming up in November, August. August. What was coming up in August? The primary. primary. No, I know the primary, but what, who, what, what elections are you watching, Richard? Well, I'm watching uh, basically the uh, the local ones, the one the statewide ones, where if you win the primary, you win the whole thing. Uh, and um, I'm trying to talk to people now about actually impeaching judges. You know, get that in their heads so they can actually show up and vote. They, I mean, because if you can get that type of thing, you could really put some fire under them and inspire them so that Trump don't come in and say, I freed the weed, and really he didn't because he still got Bill Barr and they're redacting everything, you know? Speaking, so. speaking of Trump, and um, I want to just get take the temperature of the room here. There's Yesterday and today there's been some, um, there's been a politician, there's been a billionaire saying that they think um, that Trump should pardon Kwame. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your opinion on that, Richard? Well, he, he should, but I think what it's going to be for the wrong reasons is going to be just for votes. It's going to be used as a divisive ex, uh, act to say, hey, you know, I did a lot for the blacks, you know. And well, I, I get why he may or may not want it, but do you think Kwame deserves some clemency, which means reducing his sentence or a full pardon? Yes, he does, and there's a few more like that. Um, I know he did wrong. He didn't listen to the right people when he should have. And um, I, I mean, people got much. All the people who did the like the Wall Street ripoffs and the home got much less time. I do understand that there's some people that really feel that he should stick it to them. And um, but overall, I think they should reduce um, his his sentence or just expunge it. He did some time. Him and Rod Blago. So you think the seven years he's done is enough? Michael Camorn, what's your opinion about uh, Trump and Kwame, and should he get pardoned or have some clemency? You know, I, I'm, I know there's a lot of politics behind this, and um, I may not even be thinking about the convictions and the evidence that was presented. Um, you know, obviously he was, I mean, he was, charged and convicted and they handed on the sentence to I think that uh, it's too much or that that kind of behavior doesn't happen all the time and he's just one of my, you know that that would be my position I think it's all a lot of corruption in government and uh, 
to say that this isn't going on now, you know, I mean, you look, look at just some of the dynamics arising out of the police departments that have been caught up in some, you know, nefarious activity, getting charged in federal court, uh, you know, shutting down a task force and whatnot has been some of the, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of that. You know, now he's a mayor, he gets, he's the guy that's uh, got an answer to everybody. And uh, it's not, it's, it's hard to, you know, justify that kind of behavior. I'm not, you know, I mean, it's convicted of stuff. And, I, but, I hear what you're saying. Listen, I, I put you on the spot. Yeah, it's not my favorite topic. That's me on marijuana, Mike. Maybe we'll edit that, Mike. Maybe we'll edit that. I, 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 I sat in the trial every single day, so I, I watched it all unfold. And it was sad and tragic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I do not believe in warehousing nonviolent criminals. I don't, I, I don't like paying the taxes on nonviolent criminals, especially after you get to a certain number of years. My question is, what is the right number of years for Kwame Kilpatrick? I know from sitting in that trial and watching him be convicted by a jury on 24 counts that the people of Detroit were the losers in that case. They did not get the services that they deserved. They they lost out on money that could have gone to help kids and, and take care of the community. Uh, it, it bothers me a little that Kwame Kilpatrick has never really apologized. He says, I'm wrongfully convicted. Um, if he were there saying, I made, I made these mistakes, um, we did this, uh, I've done everything I can to help get the money back, he should be out by now. Um, but you also have to send a lesson to other politicians so that they don't do the same thing. I, I think it would be fair to look at what all politicians in similar situations, how much time they did, and then come up to some sort of number. I don't know what Bavoyevich did in, uh, you know, in Chicago, in Chicago but, but there's probably a way to figure out what that right number is. I don't think 28 is the number. I don't. And, and when you say Kwame, you think of that guy, you covered White Boy Rick too, and mm -hmm. he'd be another one that would even almost qualify for social equity, you know, him and Trevino. Right. Um, nonviolent criminals. Nonviolent like, criminals. It's, it's a long time. I would echo his point, which is that it's either way, it's a tragedy. And, and, and it, nothing is gained by him sitting in jail. That's, you know, because I think it's always a trade. Like he's either gotten out of where he wanted to be and should have been and knows it. And his conviction just represents the tragedy of it all. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not, right. you know, it doesn't, it doesn't get better, but that's the system the we. The hard part, and I think one reason, Michael, you had a hard time, and I know you're a criminal defense attorney and you argue for sentence reductions all the time. I, I have never argued that, but it's hard being a lawyer with the, he, you know, being convicted by a jury of your peers by, for 24 counts, it's gone through multiple appeals. Lots of people have looked at this. I would rather have a court reverse it than a president who right. would do it for votes, to your point and to Pete Carmanis's, uh point. So, you know, I guess the means I, I, I don't know if the means are, are going to happen. Um, I mean, how it happens is what I'm trying to say is I, I don't think that that's the way it should be done for votes. And that to me seems pretty crooked. I think um, a court or the the process should work differently than that. I mean, what court would reverse that? Would it be the Supreme Court, uh, uh, like a federal but I think district he's a, judge? It would, or well, it could be any of them, but I think he's, gone, I think he's exhausted all of his... Um, appeals, yeah. which according to part the, the U.S. pardon laws and clemency laws, you have to exhaust all of your appeals. You ha can have no litigation going on, no criminal appeals going on to apply for a pardon. And it, and, and I assume, and I'm not following right. his pardon. And I assume he's officially applied. And I, I actually don't know, but um, 
he can't have any litigation or any appeals. It has to be at a standstill. Right. Am I right? Yeah, and I, I mean, it, your your take on it, I'm taking is that you know the exoneration via a court and overturning of an issue is is a better outcome at the end of the day. And your kid sounds like you're kind of against. I mean, a pardon in and of itself is going to have political votes attached to it, right? I mean, you know, in a way, whatever it is. I mean, unless they're doing it in secret and they don't want anybody to know, which some presidents have done in the past, and it looks terrible for them. I don't know that this president is thinking of it in those those terms or does think of it in those terms. But uh, would you say a pardon then is never justified? No, I, I think in the right circumstances it is. Someone convicted 20 times and, and lost all their appeals because no, all the eyes, all the legal brains that got a chance to look at it and didn't, didn't see anything wrong with the evidence, the conviction, or the sentence. So I didn't sit through the trial. And, uh, you know, Kevin, I mean, that's a lot of felonies mm-hmm. that the 12 jurors who unanimously convicted him. I mean, that's a, we're lawyers. They, I mean, the they judge, have to believe the in the jury system. The judge, the judge did not sentence him as harshly as she could have either. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, I, I think she probably took a, a hard look at uh, what her sentence was to because she knew it was gonna be appealed. Uh, and uh, she she went right up you know, right up to the line, but didn't didn't cross over to an appeal that was uh, beyond what well, he was convicted of. Well, that, now that you say something that a court should reverse it versus a president, uh, what we think about Trevino? What court? You know, a court. Well, that'll be appealed to right. the uh, circuit. Sixth, He'll be at the Sixth Circuit. The sixth circuit, and if that's denied, right. it would go up to the Supreme Court. Right. Right. And and the U.S. Supreme Court. Go ahead. On the Kwame issue, though, another factor that there was a lot of people that had cooperated which is always problematic in a criminal case. You know what I mean? So you have the, the, the other people that are participating in the crime themselves testifying, they're getting a break. You know, the tragedy of that, that's more tragedy, I think. Yeah. You know, that, you know, whoever's in first and cooperates, they get out of it or get less of a punishment. That's a factor in this, you know, which probably made it worse for him. They brought up more evidence. Mm-hmm. I, again, that's part of the process, you know yeah. what I mean? But I always, it, it raises, in my mind, it raises uh, the motivations for those people and, you know, and. Their willingness to add to things, and also you know, if you, you know, if you if you take a plea deal, you're you're way down here, and if you don't take a plea deal, man, they come with everything. Oh yeah, and then and then the sentencing is almost maxed out. It's like they yeah. do not want you going to trial, and I don't think that's a great message either. Federal court punishes you for exercising your constitutional rights to go to trial. You know the right. the baby, the mother, uh, you know the university scandal out in California, the actresses that were paying yes. away. Oh, they're, they re- char- they're just realizing that. Wait a second, if we don't take the plea and make the government prove its yeah, case. They're going to add 10 charges. Right, and that's right. what I think happened to Danny. That's another factor in Danny's right. and, and uh, Kwame's also. Right? There's, we, uh, Michael, we had, a, um, we had Adolf Mongo on the show a couple months ago who said that he had um, lunch with the prosecutor, uh, Kim Worthy, the day before, who said, convince your client Kwame to... Take a plea. Re- no, to resign. Hmm and we won't charge him. Right. And he went back to say that and told Kwame that, and Kwame's like, my people are on this, don't worry about right. it. And um, I don't know anything else other than what I just told you, but that was a pretty yeah, interesting that was not story. The fe- that was not the federal charges, no? it was certainly 28, but it was the, the state charges that right. caused him to resign and right. put him in prison for, um, was it 18 months or right. so? He didn't to listen to years. nobody. But he, had, he, had right. he resigned, he may not have been charged, charged with correct. anything. Correct, probably have, wouldn't have. Probably wouldn't have. So I thought that was interesting. That was, so, yes, Michael. Pain and suffering for hubris, 
hubris is not i don't have problems with that you know what i mean like if you're so missing the boat of your right. you so know, cocky real, such, yeah. e such a huge yeah, yeah, yeah. ego let's talk i know we're going along but but you know what this is an interesting topic and i think our listeners are going to enjoy it um there's a very famous case in michigan it's 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 a one of the pinnacle cases in your law the earl carruthers case mm, yes. and there's a little backstory that we've never talked about publicly but um and Michael's gonna explain it, but Earl Carruthers was a friend of mine, he was my personal trainer, and he ran into some trouble and I referred him to you, and you did a fabulous job for him, I believe. And so tell us what the Earl Carruthers case, um, what is, is what was the legal precedent that was set, and is it still law, and any other color you wanna sure. give us on that? So this all arose during the uh, MMMA, the Michigan Medical Marijuana Act, and as we mentioned, the, the certain amount of plants you can possess and a certain amount of marijuana you can possess. But the term of art is not more than 2.5 ounces of usable, quote unquote, marijuana. So Earl Carruthers was driving in Oakland County, got pulled over and had brownies in his vehicle. And the question for the courts was, does brownies fit the definition of usable marijuana? And um, usable marijuana is defined as the um, dried leaf or preparation or mixture of the marijuana, okay? But there wasn't any weights or measurements of this other thing that wasn't plant material. So there's a lot of unanswered questions. So hold on, hold back up. These were medical marijuana brownies. Correct. Which had some marijuana in the brownie, but the brownie is a dense, heavier object. It clearly wasn't all marijuana. But, Correct. But so, okay, so I just wanted to, to understand. And I would say this though also, because this is, a second thing that came out of this, but there was no visible plant material in this in these brownies. In fact, the process was about extracting the THC or the cannabinoids out of the plant material, throwing away the plant material, and mixing this into the butter and baking the brownies. Okay, that's the idea, or is you know, using the butter to extract it and then baking with it, where that which it retains the THC for the medicinal brownies. So, what happens in the case is that. Um, the trial court, Judge Warren, Oakland County, says uh, he's not protected under the immunities because the brownies don't fit the definition of usable marijuana. It's a, you know, this is, so, so then the Court of Appeals gets the case and says, it's a really difficult opinion to, because what they realize is that they can't quantify the amount of THC. The lab isn't capable of quantifying the amount of THC. So we're not even, you know, can't even talk about amounts and whether it's, and are we going to weigh the whole thing? Or are we just going to weigh the amount of THC? You know, these were right. unanswered questions. There is a quote from the uh, the opinion, which which just you know evidences how crazy things were at that time. Something to the effect of um, the um, highly concentrated, but um, dangerous and highly concentrated, but unmeasurable amounts of THC. Like these things, like, they can't be highly concentrated and unmeasurable at the same time, but they've you know, alluded to, you know, this, this is the fear that was kind of taking place. So the Court of Appeals found that uh, he was not protected because the language of Section 4 in the immunity did not contemplate brownies in the medical use of marijuana. Now, the cartoon caption, the newspaper the next day would have been a kid sitting on a mother's lap with a couple of judges in the, you know, with their robes pulling a brownie out of a kid's hand and hand him a bong because they thought they were hurting Earl Crothers, but all the kids that are medical patients were the ones they're not smoking 
and this opinion said you can only smoke marijuana, which I, which so you it's know, against ed- edibles. Against edibles, the possession of edibles was illegal, illegal because of him. And think about this: the parents of kids, not because of him, because of this terrible opinion. But there's a there's a silver line here. But all the parents that are um, <coughs> have children that are giving them brownies and oils and anything that's not plant material. The only way they can engage in this kind of behavior and not be subject to CPS is if they're in compliance with Section 4, which means plant material usable marijuana after this opinion. If they're caught with a brownie for their kid, they do not get immunity, and they're subject to CPS. So that's the kind of impact that this had, okay? So- You went to the Supreme Court. Went to the Supreme Court, they denied it, but the Court of Appeals opinion did the following. So when after Earl had, I was not his lawyer during the trial, he had this terrible ruling, went to trial, lost the trial, didn't have, but- but That's when I refer him to you, I right, believe, exactly. after the trial. So we, so we did the appeal, and the appeal to the Supreme Court. The Court of Appeals opinion had, re, had ended up remanding the case so he could do his Section 8 defense, which means if you don't get immunity, you can still assert it was for medical purposes defense. The law was in flux at the time, and he actually didn't have an opportunity to do that, so they remanded it for that to take place, and I got involved then, and we had our Section 8 here, and he called his uh, father, Champ Carruthers, I don't know if you've met that man, he's an, a really incredible guy, um, and he uh, testified, and you know the brownies were for him, and they, we made out our case, and then the Oak County Prosecutor's Office appealed that to the Court of Appeals, and to the Supreme Court, and hung around there for a little while, and in the meantime, the legislature, in an act that I've, it's the first time I've ever seen this in the 27, 28 years we've been practicing, but they uh, amended the MMMA, and not only did they amend it, they stated in the amendments that this law is intended to be curative and retroactive, and retroactive. And the reason why it's curative and retroactive is because we as the legislature failed to do what we were uh, mandated to do, which is to implement the MMA to protect people from arrest and prosecution. And by them failing to legislate the protections for metabols and food products, that's the justification for this retroactive law. I've, I've never seen a law apply retroactively in criminal law. I, nor have I, and that's a, it's just for those people who don't, fully follow this i mean that's a positive thing oh that was a, right. that was a huge win so uh so these we call these the carruthers amendments you know we named so know, people got out of jail and prison and got expungements because of this, carruthers case that's right that's right so to, like so his case is still alive we went back to court ironically the numbers that the legislature came up with they've redefined the volume limitations for marijuana infused products if you were allowed to have two and a half ounces of usable plant material, for every one of those ounces, now you could have eight ounces of marijuana-infused products or you know um, brownies or edibles or whatnot. So this whole thing changed, and the numbers that the state used are virtually the same numbers that he was arrested with in his car. Like, it's his law, okay? But he they, did. So they ultimately, we've just, we just been, so they later just, Capitulated, but the uniqueness of you know they dismissed the case and nilly press. But he'd been to trial, he'd done like sixty days in jail, five years of probation, you know. And in in I had never been in a situation like we were getting ready to go to trial. They couldn't hurt him anymore. I mean, he could literally have sat at the t- defense table and just been like, you know, flipping off everybody around him because he'd already been hurt and abused, and 
you know, ju- you know, but it was just such a weird procedural phenomenon of a case. But uh, Earl's doing great. I'm sure he's, uh, as I said, we do a little gathering, kicking it with Kamorn and- uh, I've seen him on your, your podcast. Yeah. What's the name of your podcast? We do uh, Planet Green Trees. It's Planet Green Trees TV on uh, Facebook, and we're on YouTube as well. And you're, you do it live, right? We do it live. and uh, What nights, if my uh, viewers or listeners want to check it out, where do they go? PlanetGreenTrees.com. Planet Green Trees uh, TV on Facebook is, or Camorn uh, Law has a YouTube channel. But Wednesday nights we do a podcast, and we've been doing them for really like eight or ten years. You doing one tonight? We have adjourned it till tomorrow because my daughter has a recital at okay. uh, the middle school. I know my my uh, crack IT guy has been there and said it's a a good time had by all, and I've watched it. Um, looks like you guys are having fun in there. We're trying to model it after this a little bit. I think we're trying to. Yeah. Get well, some, uh, hopefully, um, people will tune in to to watch. Um, Richard, any parting thoughts before we let you go? Well, yeah, I write two blogs. One's called freetheweedusa.blogspot.com where I keep track of a lot of the marijuana, a lot of the weed issues in the world. And I was blogging for uh, former Councilman George Cushenberry Jr. called friendsofgeorge.blogspot.com. I think with the whole thing in the marijuana between state and federal and people getting out the vote, they're all intertwined. Um, like I said, when I went to that trial, it was just a travesty. I, I, I mean, I thought they had extra police in there and the dogs and all that. And I'm like, you know, Western District was not a great district in the federal court system anyway. You know, they, they really got some shaky decisions over that way. That's why they take them over there versus coming to the Eastern District. But uh, what I'd like to say, though, is that um, let's keep freeing the weed by, you know, being vigilant, being, you know, being aware, like participate and start questioning all these people running for office. You know, where do you stand on the marijuana issue? What about expungements? Working with Isaiah, uh, State Rep. Isaac Robinson, who got through the expungement bill and it's in the Senate right now. Now the Michigan Senate could pass that with immediate effect versus waiting 90 days. You know, that's some of the other things we can do. So uh, they do respond to calls versus more than email. So um, I, I, I suggest there just load up the emails, just call them, you know, and you know, just call, make noise. Don't sit there and don't do anything and complain. Gotta do something. Gotta do something. What's your uh, favorite type of uh, strain these days of medical? I'm a sativa, man. I'm a believing sativa. They got the indica and the hybrid. I'm a sativa guy. You're a sativa uh, guy? Right now, I was doing wedding cake. You know? Wedding cake's your favorite? Yeah. Have you ever heard of a, a, an edible or a medible called the, the Midnight Roots bars? Uh, I haven't, but you know, I don't do many medibles. I always like smoking them because, you know, the medibles, you can't eat too much. That's where people get sick. They eat too many, too much of it. Too much. You got to follow the instructions. Right. Follow don't your, eat the whole brownie. Don't eat the whole brownie <laughs> the or whole cookie thing. or bar. I've heard yep. that. Yep. This, this episode is sponsored by the Midnight Roots bar. I just okay. decided that. They're not giving me any money or bars. Or we I just know the guys. <laughs> I know the guys. What did you say? They ain't giving any weed. No, they, well, they should, right? Yeah, you dog on right. I, I don't have my card and, uh, but now it's recreational, so okay. it doesn't really matter, does it? Right. Um, I know, I know those guys and they, I, I hear good things about their products. So 
giving them a shout out. Kevin, anything else? Any last words? I would say this election is really, really important. So you better get out and vote because there's a lot going on. Yes. And if you sit home on the sidelines, uh, you're missing out on all the things that are going to be coming. Right. Can I say something about Richard? Because he, he was telling a little bit of himself. He's not doing it justice. Can I just give you a little Please. bit? Please. I met Richard the first time I'm a lawyer. I'm practicing you know, criminal defense and doing some stuff. And get involved with medical marijuana cases, and I showed up at a rally, you know, and I asked to speak in front of a group of people, which is totally different than going to court, you know what I mean? And I'm uh, scheduled to go behind Richard, and it's in Lansing, it's like in February, March, it's freezing cold out there, I got a client with me, we're kind of up on this thing, and Richard gets up and he does this free the weed thing. He gets a chant going, free the weed, free the weed. <laughs> yes. He's like the guy, you know, that you don't want to have to follow him. Like, you don't know what to do or what to say. So I go up there and I'm up there to talk with Mike. And I'm like, free the weed. You know, I did like the, just followed. But he has been, he has been in the game advocating for years beyond my entry. He's been involved with Michigan Normal for a long time. He's uh, showed up and uh, advocated you know everywhere you know and has a, been a voice of reason in communities that are crazy and don't understand cannabis and it's, it takes a lot of courage and he doesn't give you know he should get a lot of credit for that because he's been around for a long time nice job nice Thank work with, uh, what does normal stand for national organization for the reform of marijuana laws Got uh, it. We, we we have a michigan chapter and within michigan we have uh, local chapters so uh, we've been a strong advocate for the marijuana uh, I was on the board. I'm a past board member, and uh, we're looking, you know, to, to change. You know, get people involved in their government. You know, whether it's state, local, federal, um, just be involved. Because if you sit on the sidelines, you know, you're gonna get hit. I mean, you, you got to get in the game. You know, you got to sure. be on the field hitting. You know, think about this. In 2008, there was no legal marijuana anything. And the organization he's talking about, Normal, was one of the only advocacy programs that was around in the state. But in a mere uh, 10 years, we passed medical marijuana by voter initiative. That's right. not the waiting on the legislature to change the law. You don't like the law, go out and change it yourself. Right. Part of it. The legalization, recreational part of it. it you know, the, the, the uh, fortitude to gather and organize that kind of campaign is what he's talking it's about. It's impressive. You want to right. change the law, get get out, get yeah, active. Get that's, out. That's, that's, that's his message if it's not if he's not well, well nice job. Thank, thank you both you. for being here today. I really appreciate thank it. You, Kevin, man. as always, thank you for being here. Yeah. And uh, until next time. Thank you. Thank you for watching another episode of Open Mic with Kevin Dietz, Michael Camorn, and Richard Clements. This episode was brought to you by Midnight Roots Bars, and uh, we appreciate you watching. And if you like this episode, please subscribe if you haven't already and share it with all your friends. Thanks for watching.